Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Wednesday edition of the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK, and Sean Carey waiting on Steve to get into the Sunbury Motors studio. He'll be there in just a moment. Sunbury Motors, Ford Lincoln Hyundai, North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on the Strip, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. You can get in contact with us by email, stevejones at wkok.com. Also, like us on Facebook. A bunch of extra Facebook likes here over the past few days. Thanks for liking us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter, Twitter handle at Steve Jones PSU, and our website too, stevejonesshow.com. You can always find three months of archived shows there. And we can also push the shows right to your smartphone or tablet when you subscribe to our Steve Jones Show podcast. We're on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, and Google Play. Just search Steve Jones Show. And hit subscribe. That's all you got to do. That's it. If you listen to us on iTunes and Google Play uh, with the podcast, don't hesitate to leave us a review. That helps spread the word out to even more about our great sports programming here on WKOK. And, of course, Penn State football today. It is part two of National Signing Day a couple of hours ago in the media room at Beaver Stadium. Uh, head football coach James Franklin had a chance to speak for about uh, 40, 45 minutes. And we'll play a portion of that Q&A uh, coming up next hour. And we'll also hear later on this hour, scheduled to join us at about 3.35, will be the radio voice of the New England Patriots. Super Bowl champs once again, Bob Sochi. Of course, uh, Bob, longtime voice for Navy. Also did quite a few uh, duties of uh, football and college basketball and CBS Sports Network. And he was in Soika Pavilion earlier this decade when Mike Muscala won his final Patriot League crown for the Orange and Blue. Speaking of Bucknell, you can catch them tonight over on Eagle 107 at 107.3 as Loyola, Maryland. Actually, that's on the road tonight. They're in Baltimore tonight. Loyola, uh, Maryland, uh, they're on the road tonight, and they'll be back home on Saturday and Monday. So away tonight at Loyola. Saturday, they got Boston University, and then home Monday night against Lehigh. So airtime tonight will be 6.30 with Coach Nathan Davis, and then Doug will have the call at 7 on Eagle 107 from Loyola. And here on WKOK, we've got high school basketball tonight, and it is the backyard rivalry between Shikalemi and Seawons Grove. And Kevin Hearn, the Chief Dave Ritchie, will be up and running tonight following CBS News after 7 here on WKOK for that. Uh, tomorrow night we'll have more wrestling with Steve Williams as they'll roll out the res light and the Phil Lockoff gym. It'll be Milton and the Braves tomorrow night just after 7 here on 
WKOK. The Braves also have a couple of uh, duels scheduled for Saturday against Holidaysburg and their annual dual meet with Baltigal area. So we mentioned Mike Muscala a few moments ago. He is no longer a Philadelphia 76er. A story broke a little after 2 o'clock this morning, and we are now less than 24 hours away uh, from the NBA trade deadline coming and going. And the Clippers and Philadelphia 76ers struck a big trade. Tobias Harris is now going to the Philadelphia 76ers. The full deal also includes Mike Scott heading to Philadelphia. Uh, the Clippers are going to be getting Mike Muscala, Landry Shamit, Wilson Chandler, plus a handful of picks. The Clippers are also going to get the 76ers' 2020 first-round pick, as well as the Miami Heat's highly coveted, unprotected 2021 first-round pick. And the Sixers obtained that in the draft last summer. Also, the Clippers are going to be getting Philadelphia's 2021 and 2023 second-round picks. So the Sixers do get another high-level player. They're moving all their chips in for this season. And Tobias Harris, 20.7 points a game, just under eight rebounds per game, shooting over 42% from three-point range. And many felt had a legitimate case to make the all-star team this year. So Tobias Harris going to the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay, so how about that other team in Philadelphia? The Phillies. Who's it going to be? Manny Machado or Bryce Harper? Now there's a story out that the San Francisco Giants are reportedly entertaining Bryce yeah, Harper. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so are the uh, State College Spikes. I mean, it's really uh, <laughs> like, I mean, come on, man. Well, one of the top baseball writers, uh, John Heyman, did a. Uh, report a couple of hours ago said that the Giants did recently meet with Harper. Didn't give a specific date. Uh, the extent of the interest on the team's part not known, but they did try hard for uh, Giancarlo Stanton last winter. Multiple new teams emerged last week or two. Yeah, yeah. With Giancarlo Stanton, though, you're trading for him. This is this is now a bidding process. So I you know I be nice if somebody signed before spring training started. I could have sworn one of those two at least would have been taken during the winter meetings. But it, the the price tag's too high. I mean, if you're sitting there, look, I understand what the Phillies are trying to do here. So the Phillies are looking for a piece, if not two, that they think can put them over the top. Although manager Gabe Kapler right now has got a little bit of a swirl around him after that Sports Illustrated story about his time with the Dodgers. Uh It'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, with Nick Francona uh, and that story. The Phillies are looking for a part. They have the capital to spend. But you always do have to ask yourself the realistic question. Let's just take a number. I'll say it's $250 million. Do you want to take... Approximately, let's see, of the two hundred six million you really have to spend, because that's the luxury tax threshold. If I want to give somebody a, a two hundred fifty million dollar contract, and let's just say it's eight years, 
So it's thirty million a year. You know, or thirty one million. Do you want to take fifteen percent of your payroll and give it to one person? And remember, what is the job of that one person? Probably four at bats a night and two to four plays in the field. That's what you're paying for? I mean, let's be realistic here. Do you want to give 15% of your payroll to one person? That becomes a legitimate question you have to ask. Because once you get above a certain threshold of a percentage to one person, that changes the dynamics, in my opinion, of your roster. Will Harper or Machado help? There is no question. They are very, very talented players. But at what cost? When you have so many people are talking about the collusion. Look, if I'm sitting there as an organization, a lot of these people now have, for the lack of a better term, an Ivy League analytics approach to the game. Well, an Ivy League analytics approach to the game sometimes doesn't include Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. Old school, back in the 90s, let's get that big gun, let's put it in the lineup, let's let it fire and go from there. Obviously, three-run homers are big in the analytics world. But they also have capologists that are looking at the numbers that come in. And you have some groups like the Pirates. What's the Pirate payroll? $60 million? And then you got the Red Sox payroll, which is what, 230 to 240? They're way over the number. Guess which one won. But they do have the highest payroll. To the point where if money were no object, they would have re signed Craig Kimbrell already. But the Red Sox are trying to. There's two different thresholds. The second one is like 245. Maybe it's 240 million. If you go over 240 million, then the fine to the luxury tax is even greater. I mean, do you want to give 15% of your salary, of your salary cap, which let's just say for the sake of argument, it's 206, to one guy? So you have 31 million, or do you want three guys at 10 million apiece? On average, one guy makes 12, one makes 8, one makes 10. Do you do that? See, you have to, these are questions you have to ask when it comes to the big ticket items. Now, what helps Machado and what helps Harper is JD Martinez. He was in the exact same spot a year ago. It took forever before he was signed. He finally did sign a five year, 125 maybe. Something like that. And the Red Sox won the World Series, and he had an awesome year, and there's no quiet. He was worth every penny they gave him because it was worth it. They won. But that's a legitimate question that any organization needs to ask. Is it worth the money to give? You look at this show. And Sean gets 75% of it. I think he's worth it. 
I take my 25, I move on. I mean, the other guy's not here because he wanted 90. Thought he was the whole show. By the way, did you get the text yesterday? Oh, yeah, he want yeah, suit went on a little, uh, uh, Twitter blitz. We were we were you were questioning the prop bets toward the end of the show yesterday. Well, it didn't take long for him to reply. Let me quote the great Tommy Lee Jones from the movie The Fugitive. When Harrison Ford in the tunnel at the dam looks at Tommy Lee Jones holding his gun and he says I'm thinking three words here. I he says <laughs> I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. Yep. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't even read the text. <laughs> I went, okay, fine. I deleted it. I'm like, I don't care about that. <laughs> Who cares? I got other stuff going on in my life. All right. Uh, we got James Franklin's press conference from today. Yes. Yeah, uh, next half hour we're going to play. This is a very, very intriguing press conference. Well, you hear about the recruits, but then about the transfer portal. This is worth a good, long listen. Maybe the best answer I've heard on the transfer portal. Come back with more in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, Bob Sochi, uh, the Patriots play-by-play voice in the next half hour. Then James Franklin, part one at 4.06. James Franklin, part two at 4.35. A lot of talk today about the transfer portal, also about the recruits. But we'll get both parts to you. And then, you know, he was asked about Tommy Stevens and so forth. And we'll get to that. Uh, so we got a lot of football coming up today on the show. Tomorrow's show will be from Columbus. It's interesting where we are with the transfer portal now. Uh, first of all, it's, 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 it's not like you couldn't transfer before. It's just also public now, the way, it, the way it works. It's just really, it's public. And that's the difference in all, in all of this. I think you have a lot of coaches now, and, and you've had to do this in basketball for a while, but I think you've got a lot of coaches now that are out there and they're constantly re-recruiting their guys all the time. I mean, as I said said the other day to somebody, 
that's in coaching, not a head coach, but is in coaching. I said, you got to spend most of your time keeping guys happy. He goes, no, yeah, no kidding. Holy mackerel. I mean, this is a different example in high school. I mean, my coach didn't try to do anything to make me happy. <laughs> He's like, he just kept pushing me to be better. Uh, but here's where we are in society when it comes to football and basketball. Every player recruited by a Power 5 school in football and basketball, I believe, believes that they are on the path now to the NBA or the M- or the NFL. I think they all think they are. Now, reality sets in after the first 10 days of preseason practice. Ooh, I might not be in the path to many places right now. Or I'm doing really well. Yeah, I'm on the path. All right. When they start facing uh, comparable competition, that is... Uh, but I think I think if you ask Power 5 recruited players that sign... And they're just they're honest about it. They believe it's the next step forward. Some guys even tweet out, Hey, looking at my next three to five years at said institution. I mean, there are student athletes that tweet that out. Football and men's basketball. Okay. But that's where we are. Other sports are different. Every once in a while, you do get somebody that goes that leaves early and goes pro in some other sports. Isaiah Harrison Track went pro after winning the NCAA championship last year. Uh, years ago, Matty Anderson was on the men's volleyball team here. He went pro. Went early. Obviously, Tony Carr in men's basketball went early last year. We know about the five going early this year in football, like Saquon Barkley did last year. Other sports don't have that issue. This doesn't happen. I mean, they, I mean, normally if you are recruited to wrestle at Penn State, fans can count on seeing you for four years. I mean, when's the last wrestler to go pro? Besides The Rock. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when's the last wrestler to go pro? I mean, every once in a while you get a great collegiate wrestler like a Kurt Angle or a Brock Lesnar that go and make the next step. Phil Davis and Ed Ruth, for example, are, are in um, MMA. Okay. But you don't see them leaving early to go pro. Fans can count on seeing them for four years. In football and basketball, you can't count on that anymore. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show is brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Tomorrow's show will be from Columbus as Penn State gets ready to play basketball at Ohio State tomorrow night. Also later on the show today, head football coach James Franklin. Uh, Not only recruiting, but the transfer portal. That will be in the 406 half hour. It has become an annual rite of passage on this show that the Patriots win the Super Bowl. and We bring Bob Sochi on the show. Bob, welcome back. Great to have you with us. (laughs) 
Hey, Steve, it's great to be with you once again. <laughs> yeah, because that always means it's good news about something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Either we're getting ready to go to Pittsburgh or we're talking after the Super Bowl. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'll take, you know, not, I love going to Heinz Field and I love visiting Pennsylvania, but I, I definitely love this, that's for sure. Yeah, this is incredible. I, I want to ask you, I want to start maybe in a little different direction than some, probably some other people have. Obviously, Belichick and Brady are the two bellwethers. Everybody knows it. It doesn't take a genius to see that. But there's been somebody else that's been a constant for almost all of it. What has Dante Scarnecchia meant to what the Patriots are doing? Oh, my goodness. Um, where do I start? I mean, Dante Scarnecchia is, I, I'd say he's an unsung hero in that offensive line, typically as good offensive lines are with good football teams, are undervalued, underappreciated outside of the locker room, outside of the organization. But Dante has gotten a lot of uh, just attention this off uh, this postseason, just like the five who protected Brady and, and blocked for the running backs. And I'll, I'll throw in a couple of guys as well that don't get uh, attention often either uh, because one doesn't catch the ball despite being a tight end. That's Dwayne Allen. And the <laughs> other uh, <laughs> you know, is, a, is part of a dying breed in football, and that's James Devlin, the fullback. Yeah. But those two guys, along with the five guys up front, are tremendous. And Dante Scar, you know, we're tremendous this, this postseason. Yeah, they did not allow Tom Brady to get touched, basically, in the first two playoff games, despite facing Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. And then Justin Houston, D. Ford, and Chris Jones. And they did a great job against Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, uh, the rushers as well, Fowler among them for the Rams, overall in Super Bowl 53. But it all starts with Dante Scarnecchia. Steve, you look at the offensive line. You Trent Brown, a late-round pick, who was a draft day afterthought trade from the San Francisco 49ers had played left tackle only a couple of times in his NFL career. Big question mark coming in. Would he be motivated? Could he play the position? And Dante Skarnakia turned him into a good football player this year for this football team. And then on the interior, a couple of mid-round picks, including one who played in a triple option offense at guards, Joe Tooney and then Shaq Mason, being from Georgia Tech, sandwiched around an undrafted free agent center, David Anderson, who really is the star. He's the, he's the captain of that offensive line. Mm-hmm. And then at right tackle, Marcus Cannon, a fifth-round pick who's you know, been around this league for a while. And Dante Skarnacki is the guy who 30-plus years is the offensive line coach of the Patriots over the course of uh, five different head coaching careers with New England. Uh, he's the constant. And he retired for a couple of years for this team. And while he consulted, he nonetheless was missed. And since he's come back, he's been a difference maker. Something I've talked about on this show many times is that I feel the Patriots, among all professional organizations, seem to understand, quote, the shelf life of their players. Now, you know what? He might only have another one more really good year left, so we're going to move on. We're going to go in a different direction. In reality, as somebody who has to put together charts all the time, when the preseason's over, how different is that roster from the preseason from the year before for you? And does it change a lot during the season for you? It does, and Bill Belichick reminds us of that every year. You know, when people talk about team building in the roster, uh, as if once you get to opening day, that's it. Belichick will caution you, and and, and you know, will add uh, the caveat that yeah, team building is constant, and you realize that with the Patriots, who've been more active, probably from the start of the regular season, or at least since the end of the preseason schedule, 
through the trade deadline than any other team, at least during my six years, and I think it obviously predates that as well. They're constantly going out and looking for guys. They identify players who don't fit certain systems and then find a way uh, to, to maximize their value with this team. And that's really, the to your first point, value versus cost of a player as well as production from a player. The Patriots, under Belichick, have had uh, an incredible knack of identifying the value for a player versus what it's going to cost. And, and as soon as those two figures in their minds aren't aligned with one another, well, then you know that player is in danger of being let go, whether it's you know through trade, release, or via free agency and just not being re-signed. And you know, Belichick has a model that you know better to give up on a player too early than too late. Better to be a year too early than too late. And that's been their MO with some really good football players through the years, including one who was a finalist for the Hall of Fame, Richard Seymour. Uh, so, yeah. you know, you look at what have got in the Hall of Fame, Tyler, you know, when they didn't, uh, you know, they knew that, uh, you know, it was time to move on from him for financial reasons. And, you know, he, he got into the Hall of Fame, primarily thought of as a Patriot, but, you know, by the end of his career, as, as we know, had, had been in a number of places. So, you know, that's number one. And number two is the fact that, you know, they're constantly training the roster and they're constantly identifying people like Kyle Van Noy. They got him before yeah. the trade deadline a few years ago, now three for three, three seasons with the Patriots, three Super Bowls. And he's become a real impact player defensively. Uh, so many other guys like that. This year, John Simon, Albert McClellan, and Ramon Humber. You probably can't think of three more obscure pickups during the course of the season, but Simon wound up playing most extensively during the year for him in three playoff games and, and affected a couple of plays on Sunday, including a tip pass that was nearly picked off by Devin McCourty. You had a guy like McClellan block a couple of punts this year. He was picked up along with Humbert to bolster their special teams, and that's what they did. Special teams was a problem, uncharacteristically so, for this team for a good chunk of the season. But those guys had an impact and, and really played a role in, in helping the Patriots win that number two seed and become a much better special teams unit by the time they reach Super Bowl 53. And there's so many examples like that through the years. Yeah. Uh, before you got there, and he's going to go into the Hall of Fame, they had a lockdown corner in Ty Law. Then eventually, yeah. uh, then when you got there, Darrell Revis was there, and you know, and he was near the end. But they got exactly what they needed out of him. What did Stephon Gilmore mean to what they wanted to do as a domino for the rest of the defense? Well, they became a team that took a lot more chances this year defensively, including some instances of zero coverage. And Gilmore, who got off to a shaky quarter of the season last year uh, to start as a Patriot in 2017, blossomed into, you know, I think the elite cornerback the Patriots expected him to be. When they, uncharacteristically, again for them, made a splash in free agency and signed him right out of the gate prior to last year uh, to a $65 million contract. You know, it's funny you mentioned the, the two guys from Aliquippa. Uh, of course, Law and, and Revis, you know, one of the football cities, USA, and Gilmore's <laughs> out of another, Rock Hill, South Carolina, uh, you know, which has uh, yeah. bred a number of NFL players. And he's a guy that with the Bills was a good player, but had some injury issues, broke his wrist one year, and you know, was on some bad football teams and played in different schemes, frankly. And with the Patriots, he's been at his best with press coverage. And this team, you know, although they played a lot more zone against the Rams than typically, you know, they really became a, a, a team that, that could put him on somebody 
uh, and, and ask him to take that player out of the game, just the way they have done in the past with Revis and when Malcolm Butler was, was their number one corner a couple of years ago. And you look at the Kansas City game, for example, one of the subtle switches late in that game in the AFC Championship was putting Gilmore on Travis Kelsey. Even though they had practiced against him, mm-hmm. you know, or practiced with the idea of him playing against Kelsey all week long, when they made that in-game adjustment, there were a couple of critical plays late uh, where Gilmore was on Kelsey, and you could tell that's where Mahomes wanted to go and, and couldn't. Uh, so, you know, that's part of the impact. And, you know, we saw the job that he did against Brandon Cooks. Cooks wound up with a pretty decent stat line, but, you know, certainly yeah. uh, Gilmore played well in that game. Uh, and uh, when you look at the season he had, I'd say he was probably the most consistent and best defensive player for the Patriots from the start. Yeah, because I, I saw, you know, there was a little bit of cover one. I saw some quarters coverage. But for the most part, mm-hmm. what I saw was a 6-1 where you didn't know of the seven which guys were coming. I saw one-on-one Gilmore on Cooks. You take care of him, yep. and I saw a double on Woods. The other guys weren't enough of a threat to get that kind of attention. Is that a ba- If you're going to generalize, is that about what they did? Yeah, see, you know, and, and, and that goes back to, to your point about Revis in 2014. That's what they would do with Revis. They'd say, okay, Darrell, you're going to go over here, and you're going to lock up that, that player. And then we're going to use... Brandon Browner on the other side of the field. We're gonna give him a little. We're gonna give him some safety help. Ask him to be physical. We're gonna give him some safety help. And you know, when you look fast forwarding at the Kansas City game again, for an example, Jonathan Jones is one of the other cornerbacks for them, and hadn't played much of late defensively uh, after seeing his snap count diminish. But boy, he was out there a lot against. Uh, Tyree Kill, and they shaded J- Devin McCourty yeah. uh, and, and gave him out throughout that game. Well, Gilmore was responsible really for the other side of the field for them. And he's a guy that's traveled. You know, he can play right corner, left corner. If he needs to play inside, he can do that. He's been better on the outside. You know, he, he really improved uh, in terms of his communication skills. I think he's a guy that uh, plays physically and, and does so with the veteran savvy. Uh, you know, the the, the the well-timed tug that the officials can see here and there, including on uh, what turned out to be a potential touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks. Uh, yeah. So you know, you look at uh, you look at what Belichick has done, and uh, with Brian Flores, the defensive coordinator, I think they were more aggressive this year, and I think the the big part of that was the fact that they had full trust in Stephon Gilmore. You just mentioned a key word, trust. Um, there's a game plan that Josh McDaniels had. And he freely admits, he said, look, the guy, he looked around and said, look, this isn't working. And so in the fourth quarter, he changed it up. Give us the the importance that Belichick places trust in certain individuals to have the ability to say, okay, it's not working, let's go someplace else. Yeah, it's 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 also important to note that the, the in-game adjustments in general, because that's one of the things this team does as well as if not better than anybody else, and especially in a game like the Super Bowl where you're going to have to make in-game adjustments. And often Belichick and McDaniels will talk about that. Sometimes, you know, there, there are adjustments that are made that, you know, involve plays or schemes or wrinkles they haven't practiced in a while. And, and you know, you look at some of the things, for example, on Sunday, and I have, to be honest, I have not closely gone back to, to scrutinize the, uh, the, the, the coach's tape or the, or the broadcast copy yet even uh, uh, you know at this point uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind after traveling at Monday and <laughs> yeah, radio today. you think <laughs> but you know yeah but you know I mean I, I just think about like for example in that game just again 
you see some of the highlights in, in, in watching it live. You know, they did a great job, for example, on the backs in the passing game. You know, there were times in the defensive end was Fowler, and he dropped. He stayed in coverage on James White. They used Barron as well. They 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 were physical with with the backs for the Patriots in the passing game. Burkhead, uh, certainly Michelle, when they tried to throw to him a couple of times, and and that was taken away. And, and Brady was a bit off, and I think he was, he was having trouble early on trying to diagnose post snap what what the Rams were doing. Uh, you know, and and I think that in the second half, you know, with the offense not really in a rhythm, Josh McDaniel switched things up a bit, and one of the the most productive formations for them throughout the year has been, you know, the the, the 21 personnel with the two backs, one of them yeah. being James Devlin, yeah. the fullback. Well, in this case, yeah. they went with 22, and they went with two tight ends and two backs. And part of that, too, is they, they knew the Rams were wearing down. That's one thing that, you know, again, about Belichick and his staff. They're, they're great students of history, not just the history of the game, but their own history. And Thinking back to Super Bowl 51, similar scenario with the, uh, the Falcons in that comeback, the Falcons' defense was on the field a lot. And the Patriots yeah. were, knew that the Falcons were wearing down in the second half. And I think with the Rams, and you heard it in some of the mic'd up uh, segments, if you had a chance to watch any of the NFL films work in the last 48 hours or so, you heard Brady talking about it in the huddle on the field late in the game. And so I think McDaniels made that switch and you know, the Rams tried some different coverages with the personnel they had on the field on consecutive plays, but it was you know, Brady to Edelman, Brady to Edelman, Brady to Gronkowski, some big runs as well in the following series by Michelle and Burkhead uh, to help salt it away. It's interesting you say that because on Monday's show, I said sometimes I said a lot of times you can win games in the first half. I said the Patriots won the fourth quarter in the first half because the Rams' defense mm-hmm. was on the field so often they were completely gassed when it came to the fourth quarter. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. And I think, you know, sometimes, too, you can lose games in the first half. And I thought the Patriots might have been in danger of doing that. But the defense prevented the Rams from taking advantage of the missed opportunities the Patriots had. You know, unlike in the Saints game, where New Orleans left a lot of points on the field early, and the Rams were able to come back and turn things around in that game. Patriots defense, to its credit, really didn't give L.A. an opportunity to do so. I thought it was a, a, a great uh, approach against Jared Goff. You know, I, I thought honestly that, that Goff had proved a lot of people wrong late in that Saints game. He certainly, you know, won me over with how he handled the circumstances, the noise at the Superdome, the, the tough start, made some throws under duress late in that game. But uh, against the Patriots, you know, he was really overmatched, and you could see where. Sean McVay was trying to guide him through, even guiding him through the checks with Goff at the line of scrimmage with his head down, you know, halfway through the play clock, um, instead of himself identifying the defense and setting protections and making checks. Uh, and, you know, they, they tried to do a lot to get him out of the pocket and, and do some boots and some, some uh, you know, play action. And the Patriots shut down the running game, and you know, they were not fooled whatsoever on all that false movement by by the Rams with the receivers in motion and the play fakes and, and whatnot, uh, they stayed home and, and they and, and it's a too, unusual too because uh, often the Patriots play contained pass rush. They they don't really want to get vertical yeah. up the field when they rush the quarterback. Right. They did it against the Rams and that was another subtle adjustment, a subtle difference in Belichick's ability to be flexible and adapt to the circumstances. One final question, Bob. I'll let you go. Thanks a lot for the time. Uh, you see a, oh, you've seen a lot of great players at this level now over the last six years. You had an opportunity twice to see Patrick Mahomes in person. What are we watching? 
Oh my gosh, Steve! I haven't said I, I haven't talked about it with one of the Patriots uh, uh, scouting people the other day. And he he, he you know, we were talking about that particular game, and you know he said, "No, look, the, the Chiefs are going to be around for a long time. They're good." And I said, that, and he said that quarterback. I said, "Oh my gosh, he's something else." I said, "He's you know he's he's transcendent," and that's you know the first word that came to my mind, and it's an overused word sometimes, but you know some of the plays he makes. And the rolling left, and, and and we get you know you, you get caught up in the left-handed throws and the no-look yeah. passes, but <laughs> yeah. it's just the you know the ability, Steve, to to get the ball where it needs to be in the end, and it's it, it, and it's almost like you know, uh, it, it's almost like a soccer player is able to bend it, uh, you know, a, yeah. a shot or you know, a tennis player that's able to you know put the right spin on a on a volley that. Uh, you know, um, win, wins a match or something with a game on the line. The Holmes had. Hey, look, I had Barkley for three team. years. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, mean, I, I had Barkley for three and, years. So, I, I mean, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just it's, it's so hard to it's it's so hard to articulate. Uh, but when you watch him, I mean, he's a fun he's a fun player to watch too. And uh, you know, he's he's got all the intangibles. It seems as well. He's very likable. He's smart. I think he looks like he's a good leader. Uh, they believe in him, certainly. I'll be honest with you, too. I think that uh, you know the Patriots, I think, in the first half of each game confused him. And he looked rattled yep. at times in the regular season, especially, and, yep. and made some mistakes in the first half of the championship. But, boy, he kept coming back, and there was no, you know, there was no let-up in the second half. And, you know, that shows me something as well, uh, just how talented he is. But he, he, he's a terrific player. Uh, and we've seen, we've seen a bunch of those young quarterbacks this year. Mitchell Trubisky just saw Goff most recently. Uh, and, and, you know, over the course of the last few years, we've seen other quarterbacks come into the league. We haven't seen Mayfield. We'll get a chance to see him next year. But I mean, there's there's no comparison in my mind, uh, you know, in, in terms of the caliber of those other guys and, and Patrick Mahomes. It's kind of like, I mean, he's not Tom Brady, and he doesn't play like Tom Brady. But yeah, you know, I see the difference there when you watch Brady versus a lot of other guys, seeing Mahomes versus some other people. Bob, another great, great season for you. I mean, I mean, I know it ended up great, but obviously we get to all listen to each other. Another fabulous season for you. It ends in the Super Bowl. Congratulations on that. The Patriots are really lucky to have you. Hey, Steve, I really appreciate that. That means a lot because the respect is mutual. And uh, I hope we can talk again this time next year. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I realize this is, uh, this, this is something that, that may never happen again in my lifetime or anybody else's, frankly, in, in, in the NFL or other sports. And I'm just so fortunate to, to be uh, witness to it and to have a chance to, to call games. I mean, you've been a part of some great football teams there in Happy Valley. And uh, I think you, you know you understand how special these yes. times are. Yes, yes, no question. But you know what? We're still lucky to have you. Appreciate it very much, Bob. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. <laughs> Bob Sochi, the outstanding, and I mean outstanding, play-by-play voice of the New England Patriots. He and Scott Zolak do a great job in those broadcasts. First got to know Bob when he was at Navy, as a matter of fact. And uh, boy, these. Well, he's called three Super Bowl wins, something else, you know. I haven't taught, you know, really great career. Outstanding announcer, better guy. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK.